And, and we, when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, the way the chapter begins and ends talks about the resurrection. So chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so most of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is on the theme of the resurrection. And if we take a look toward the end, chapter 15, verse 50... Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so that's the great news of the resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. And so the chapter begins with the the resurrection and it ends with the resurrection and Paul even has a few things to say in the midst of the chapter but I want you to also notice that he talks a good deal about death and that's what we're going to talk about today not resurrection but death go to verse 20 of this same chapter 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, since by man, meaning Adam, came death, by man, meaning Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death he has destroyed the power of sin but death is not yet destroyed same chapter verse 45 and so it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life giving spirit 
So the first Adam is the man Adam. The last Adam is the God-man Christ. The first Adam became a living being. God breathed in him the breath of life and he became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual, just meaning that Adam came first. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So this background prepares us for what Paul would later write to the church at Rome that we're going to read about in Romans chapter 5. So if you turn to Romans 5 now. What is he talking about that in Adam all die? What is our connection back to Adam there? How does that affect us? Why is death involved? Why does death still reign? Why is it still an issue, a problem? So what we're going to look at today in this, uh, this section of Romans 5, 12 through 14 is the first Adam and sin and death. And next week we'll complete the chapter, Lord willing, and look at the second Adam and righteousness and life. So uh, today, verses 12 through 14 will be our text in Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Paul begins this section by giving us the reason for hope in the midst of death it's, it's really the same kind of theme that we find in 1 Corinthians 15 that even though he talks a great deal about death in 1 Corinthians 15 that in Adam all die there is reason for hope in the midst of death and that's why the word therefore the beginning of verse 12 therefore it's, it's been maybe more than a few weeks since we last looked at Romans 5. So just remember the preceding context and what he's pointing back to. Uh, in uh, the first part of Romans 5, Paul had given a great deal of hope for us and reasons for our hope. And those were based upon faith. So verse 1 of chapter 5 also begins with a therefore therefore having been justified by faith now 
If you go back to chapter 4, verse 22, Paul was using the illustration of Abraham, who was way before the law, who believed in God. And verse 22 says, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That, that he believed in God. God accounted it to him for righteousness. Not any works, but faith. Now, verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was counted to him or imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because or for the sake of our justification. And he says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we have this great hope because of the we, we have been justified by faith we stand in grace we rejoice in hope of the glory of God verse 3 and not only that we, we, even, we even glory in tribulations that is how great our hope is he's saying we even glory in tribulations well how would that be well knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces hope now hope does not disappoint hope is not like the worldly hope we hope something happens or not but the hope of God never disappoints you know why because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us so it's that kind of a sure hope that we, has a, we have as an anchor for the soul so we have great hope. And he goes on to further elaborate what God did for us to give us such hope and such grace. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for us, the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But... God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died in our place. Much more than. Though not only is that true, much more than having now been justified by his blood. See how verse 1 began, therefore having been justified by faith, and now we're reminded in 9, much more having been justified by his blood, the reminder of why faith has any efficacy at all, because the blood of Christ. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You can count on it. It's a solid hope. For if when we were enemies, think about this, even back at the time we were enemies of the cross, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, this harkens back to verse 3, 
We, verse 2 ended with, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we even rejoice in tribulation, verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received a present possession, the reconciliation. It's not something that's dangling out there in the future. It is guaranteed for us, given to us, and sealed by the Spirit of God. It is a surety. It is a steadfast hope. Therefore, verse 12, and that therefore heads up this long paragraph from verse 12 through 21, which is going to tell us that even though we are linked to the sin of Adam, all the way back to Adam's sin, and we are sinners because of what happened back there in the garden, and every one of us is accountable, and we are subject to eternal death because of it, even though that's true, there's another reality that is greater, and that it is that we are related to Christ, who died on the cross for us, and His grace extended to us on the cross is superabundant more than the sin that we have. And that's what the therefore is going to tell us. So we have that kind of sure hope. But in order to get to the, the good news of uh, our relationship to Christ and how, that, how we relate to Him, how His death could be applied to us, Paul first talks about how Adam's sin could be applied to us. See, both things are true. And we gravitate toward the one. We gladly accept the one. Christ's death is accounted to us. We are somehow related to that. But how is it that Adam's sin is accounted to us? So he begins there. And he gives us a reason for hope in the midst of death. <clears throat> Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, the entrance of sin, it was through one man, the man Adam. Um, in fact, the word Adam in Hebrew means man. So it's kind of a play on words here. Through the one Adam, through the one man. And I'm struck with the singularity of this. Just as through one man. It only took one man, one time, one sin. To bring down the collapse of the created order. It was one man and that was Adam. And we go back in our minds to the, to the garden. Uh, we don't have time to look at Genesis 2 and 3 but... Uh, just remind you to, to look at that for the background of these things. The fall of Adam and Eve is a um, familiar enough story. I think we can all identify with it. But we might wonder, well, wait a minute, why not Eve? That through the sin of one woman, who was the first one to sin? Didn't the sin of Eve precede the sin of Adam? So why is this poor guy held guilty? The guy is always to blame. 
And it's usually true in my home. <laughs> Why not Eve? Well, there are several reasons. Several good, solid, biblical reasons why this is important that it doesn't say Eve, that it says Adam. Because, first of all, Adam was made first. God made Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then he made Eve out of Adam. Eve came from Adam, but Adam was directly made by God, and he was made first. In fact, that very uh, truth that Adam was made first is the reason the New Testament gives for the headship of man over woman or, and of a husband in the home. Because Adam was formed first. And so God's order and headship is based on the order of creation. It was God's sovereign choice and, and his will to do that. And so Adam was made first. And he was given headship. That also means that because Adam was given headship, the responsibility fell on him, not Eve. The same thing is true for you guys. Having headship doesn't mean you get to make decisions. It means you are ultimately responsible for your home and your life and your family. Your wife and your kids. You are the one who is ultimately spiritually responsible. And it's a great responsibility. Because if you fall, what will happen to your family? And the problem God is saying is not that Eve sinned, although she is held accountable for her sin, right? She suffered because of her sin. But it was Adam who was made first. And in his role of headship, fell. The second reason is that it was to Adam that the command was directly given of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but only of this one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17 Now Genesis 2.18 is where the story of the creation of Eve begins. That means Eve was not even there when God issued this direct command to Adam regarding the tree. So the, the command was given specifically, directly to Adam. And I'm sure he conveyed that to Eve. We have no reason to think otherwise. She was talking to the serpent about it. But didn't God say... But the... the the command was given directly to Adam. And the third reason is that Adam was not deceived. And we know that Eve was deceived. We, we know that from the story of Genesis 3. We also know uh, from 1 Timothy 2, uh, 12 and 13, that it, it tells us very clearly there that the, the woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Well, that speaks bad things of, of the woman. She was deceived. But it speaks even worse things of Adam. That is, he went into the sin with his eyes open and he chose to plunge into the sin. He made the choice. She was deceived, yes. He was not. He chose to sin. And so the bulk of the responsibility is on Adam. Through one man, 
sin entered the world. Now the word, the word sin here is singular, notice. Not, we, are, we are not held accountable for any of the other sins that Adam did. Adam sinned in the garden and he had a sin nature afterwards. He was kicked out of the garden and he lived for a very long time. And we, he must have sinned multiple times. But we're never told what other sins were, nor are we held accountable for any of the other sins of Adam, whatever they might have been, however grievous they might have been. We're not held accountable. It's just for that one sin. That one singular sin. See, it's that one sin that opened the door for all other sin that would ever happen. That one sin resulted in a propensity to sin. In, indeed, a sin nature in Adam and then to all of us. That one sin changed and nature of Adam from then on he had a sin nature and every person born from that time has a sin nature and we are all descendants of Adam so in Adam all die we're told that sin entered the world it's, I think, carefully worded here that sin entered the world, not sin entered creation, or that sin originated. This is not truly original sin. It's a misnomer to call this original sin. Because where was the first sin? The angels, specifically Satan, right? And we know that that came before this because by the time Adam and Eve are made... Uh, Satan is in a fallen condition as a serpent and speaking lies and uh, 1 John 3 says that he was a liar from the beginning he is the father of all lies and sin began with Satan and his fall but sin entered the creation through Satan but not the world the world was still a safe place um, in the garden was a, a bubble of holiness unto the Lord but Satan entered that garden deceived Eve and Adam purposely chose to sin and then with Adam's sin sin entered the world that entrance of sin like the beginning of a plague has to start somewhere with someone that entrance of the plague then spread to all others. Then comes the entrance of death. Verse 12, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. The original intent was for there not to be death. The way that God had constructed uh, the earth and especially the garden of Eden, that paradise was that Adam and Eve could live there forever. They were immortal beings. 
In fact, at the end of Genesis 3, we find that, that God uh, says, let's take man out of the garden, lest he eat of the tree of life and live, how long? Forever. Now we, we note that in the book of Revelation, when God restores a new heaven and a new earth, in that new earth, a new Jerusalem, there will be a tree of life bearing 12 sorts of fruits each after its own season and everybody can come and partake of this tree of life. So God's going to restore that again. But access to that tree was blocked and the way guarded by cherubim, uh, angels, so that no one would ever be able to have access to it again. But the original intent was immortality and um, I know it's just a happenstance of the English word but if you look at the word immortality and take out the word in the center that looks like a cross what do you end up with immorality that's what you have without the cross not immortality but immorality. Genesis 2.17 And the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In Genesis 3 Adam partook of the tree of life. Did he die? Yes. And there are three kinds of death that the Bible mentions both Old Testament and New Testament. Three kinds of death that Adam brought to, into existence. The first and most obvious one is physical death. We're all going to die physically one day. You know, there's an old saying that nothing is certain but death and taxes. Uh, and the way our government works, I think they're trying to tax us to death. <laughs> but we all go that way the, we, from dust we were made to dust we shall return we're not designed to live forever in this body this, these bodies are decaying some of them more rapidly than others but we all die in Adam all die it's the result of sin death and physical death is the foremost and most obvious form of death it is not the most consequential, the most uh, important, but it's just the most obvious. A second kind of death is spiritual death. The one you cannot see, but is more consequential. Spiritual death as, as we find it defined in both Old and New Testament, has to do with separation from God. That's what spiritual death is. It's not that necessarily that your spirit dies, because in fact, a person who's not related to God is spoken of as already spiritually dead. But the idea of being spiritually dead is to be separated from God. Separated from God. And so to be spiritually dead after you physically die you you can't be in heaven you are spiritually separated from God 
to the third kind of death the Bible talks about, and that is eternal death. This makes spiritual death um, all the more consequential because not only are you separated from God, we might could stand it for a few seconds. None of us have experienced what it is to be totally separated from God because of his common grace in this world. But to be entirely separated from God forever, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched in eternal torment, eternal death. That is a death that never ends. An eternal dying, literally. Those are the kinds of death that entered with sin. Then the spread of death. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Death spread to everyone like a, like a plague that, that affects everyone. Even further, we find out later, like in Romans chapter 8, that this death and the curse of sin fell on all creation because the whole world, the cosmos, the, this earth that we live on is groaning, waiting to be delivered from the sin curse it is a dying planet. And every once in a while, in its, in its groaning and moving, it will slide a little bit of a disc, a little plate maybe under the ocean, and a tidal wave will wipe out a thousand people or more. A tsunami will strike. Tornadoes will kill 300 people. And the earth is in death throes. But for now, the emphasis is on man. Death spread to all men. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is what? Death. See, that's why death spread to all men. This is universally true. Even Jesus died because of sin. Right? Jesus died because of sin. Your sin and mine, not his own. And we see the spread of sin. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. All have sinned individually. We, we know that, Romans 3.23 we studied before, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is true of every single one of us. We are all individually guilty. And we have to keep this in our mind that um, regardless of what Adam did and how we are connected back to that, we know in ourselves that we have sinned. Genesis 6, 5, speaking back to um, the days just after Adam and during Noah's time Genesis 6-5 says 
Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All have sinned. And that has been the emphasis of Romans before this point and will be afterwards. But right now, it's the corporate nature of our sin. All have sinned corporately together in Adam. Now, I'm going to expand on this some next week, but let me just say a couple things uh, to kind of introduce the subject. How is it that we sinned in Adam? One is that it could be because uh, if we look at Adam as our relative, and the other way is to look at it as Adam as our representative. Our relative, or our representative, or perhaps some combination of both. Let me just briefly explain. As our relative, uh, we are all physical descendants of Adam, right? We all trace our lineage back to him. And so, in some way, we, we, the DNA that was in Adam has been passed on to all of us. I'll talk more about that next week. Uh, as our representative. Um, the idea of corporate representation was, was very common in the Old Testament and with Israel and the nations around them. Uh, just a couple quick examples like um, David and Goliath. What was going on there? Goliath was coming out to represent the Philistines. He was their champion. And if anyone could come out and defeat Goliath, then the Philistines would say, okay, then we're defeated. It was very common in ancient warfare. If you have ever read uh, uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War, the, uh, uh, Sun Tzu was a great Chinese general uh, who wrote a classic book on tactical warfare, The Art of War. And uh, he even uh, then spoke of... Uh, in, at some times this kind of warfare would take place that, that two uh, groups would decide instead of why have your 10,000 against my 10,000 why not just choose a representative you know it's a lot less bloodshed and you choose your best guy we'll choose our best guy and, and we'll decide that whichever side wins wins well that all sounds well and good except for the guy who's chosen uh, <laughs> to represent you but that's the kind of thing going on with David and Goliath. Um, in Joshua chapter 7, uh, the, the sin of Achan, when the nation of Israel had gone in and destroyed the city of Jericho without setting foot in it, remember? They marched around it and the Lord had them blow the trumpets and the walls of Jericho fell down. And then they just took the city and God said, all the spoils of this city, the first city that you take, the first fruits are all mine. Well, this guy named Achan decided that looks like some pretty good gold and silver and precious jewels and Babylonian silk. And so he took it and hid it under his tent. 
the nation of Israel then went to attack the next town, a little town, Ai, and they got defeated by this little town. They're saying, how could this be? And God says, told Israel that Israel had sinned because there was sin in the camp. And so all Israel was held guilty because this one guy had stolen it. And they finally ferreted out who had done it. And Achan died. Not only did Achan die, but all his family and all his goats and donkeys, uh, his tents and the tent pegs were all consumed, stoned to death because of Achan's sin. And so they... The idea of corporate responsibility was something very real and in the way of Israel's thinking. Um, we elect representatives, right? Someone, a house of representatives. We send someone to Congress to represent us, to, to hopefully vote in the way that, that we would vote if we were there and could vote, that they would do that for us. And when they don't, we, we send them emails and text messages and phone calls and letters vote this way because you're my representative well Adam was our representative in Adam we sinned because he represented us now you may think wait a minute I don't remember electing him why, why is he my representative I want a different representative you know, recall those bums from Washington and from the garden. I want, we'll talk about this next week. <laughs> but this is a very crucial issue of how, how it is that Adam, we're connected to Adam this way. But I just want to close with a thought that Christ is our representative. Right? Whatever problems we might have with Adam being our representative, rejoice in this, that Christ died in our place. He is our representative. We get to verse 13 and 14, the reign of death, which we don't have time for today. But we got all the way through verse 12. Let's just, let's just look at verse 20 through 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, that's what we've been talking about today. Sin reigned. It had its rule, its dominion over man from the time of Adam and resulted in death, physical, spiritual, eternal death. As sin reigned in, in death, even so grace, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why we're having communion. That's why we celebrate communion. 
I want to ask the, the guys who are going to help serve forward as we prepare our hearts for this. Oh, how great a truth this is as we begin to take of these elements that represent the death of Christ for us, that grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That you think about because this represents the death of Christ we were talking earlier about the, the three kinds of death the Bible speaks of think about how Christ died those three kinds of death first of all there's physical death and the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Holy One from eternity past, left heaven to be incarnated, to put on flesh for the purpose of that flesh and body uh, man to be nailed to a cross, to die physically. It had to be a physical death. God couldn't just pardon from above. He had to come down and live a real life as a real man. And that real man suffer real anguish on a real cross. It was a physical death. It was a spiritual death. Remember that the emphasis of spiritual death is separation from God, right? So what happened on the cross? In those three hours when God turned black the earth, those last few hours on the cross of agony, and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father turned his back on him, he was separated spiritual death well how about eternal death he's not still on the cross is he well no so how does that fit in well what if you or I had been nailed to the cross could have been a a real physical death it could have even been a spiritual death in that if we were not believers we'd be separated from the father but it could in no way ever be an eternal death because we are mortal beings. It would take an eternal being to be able to make an eternal sacrifice. So it's important to note that, that Jesus Christ is not only son of man, he is son of God. He is eternal in his, his very character, his nature. He, and he alone, was able to make an eternal sacrifice in its quality. Only he could do that. So remember those things as we, we partake of this bread and cup. We read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord 
that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and now we will take bread.